The theologian John Calvin uh, once said this, he said, it is certain that man never achieves a clear knowledge of himself unless he has first looked upon God's face and then descends from contemplating him to scrutinize himself. Man never achieves a clear knowledge of himself unless he's first looked upon God's face and then descends from contemplating him to scrutinize himself. In our first two weeks of the Lord's Prayer, we've looked at the first three of six phrases, all lifting our eyes to God, who is our father, who reigns in heaven, who is the king of the world of our lives. And now we do this, we get to the final phrases where the prayer focuses in a little bit more on us, when we descend from contemplating him to scrutinize ourselves. And I don't know about you, but maybe these are probably the phrases which come a bit more naturally to us day to day. You heard of Josh, they're throwing out the short, sharp prayers. Maybe we find it easy to pray prayers like, Lord, help me with this. Um, Lord, do that. Lord, please let me have this. Um, but this prayer, Jesus prayer, teaches us. He teaches how to pray. He rightly fix our eyes up before they come down on ourselves. God has designed us to be dependent. From birth, we rely on others. As we grow older, we rely again more on others. Contrast that with the God we've focused on the last few weeks. He is He's glorious, he's hallowed, he's powerful, he's king. And now as we go on, even though we look down at ourselves, the God-centered nature of the prayer does continue. God is exalted and we are humbled as this prayer reminds us of our total dependence on God, of our, of our neediness, that we are creatures with our father who's our creator. And so today, um, as we look at these two of these last three phrases, we look at the first two of our most urgent needs, bread and forgiveness. So firstly, give us today our daily bread. Now, when Jesus would have said that to those listening in, um, most of their minds would probably have instantly gone to Exodus 16. The Israelites uh, are wandering in the desert, having left Egypt, and they were moaning. They were tired and they were hungry. So Josh now is going to read for us from Exodus 16, just to help us understand a bit more about what went on then. Yeah, Exodus 16, verse 2 to 23. In the desert, the whole community grumbled against Moses and Aaron. The Israelites said to them, if only we had died by the Lord's hand in Egypt. There we sat around pots of meat and ate all the food we wanted. But you've brought us out into this desert to starve this entire assembly to death. Then the Lord said to Moses, I will rain down bread from heaven for you. The people are to go out each day and gather enough for that day. In this way, I will test them and see whether they will follow my instructions. On the sixth day, they are to prepare what they bring in. And that is to be twice as much as they gather on the other days. So Moses and Aaron said to the Israelites, in the evening, you will know that if it was the Lord who brought you out of Egypt. And in the morning, you will see the glory of the Lord because he's heard your grumbling against him. Who are we that you should grumble against us? Moses also said, you will know that it was the Lord when he gives you meat to eat in the evening and all the bread you want in the morning, because he's heard you're grumbling against him. Who are we? You're not grumbling against us, but against the Lord. Then Moses told Aaron, say to the entire Israelite community, come before the Lord, for he has heard your grumbling. While Aaron was speaking to the whole Israelite community, they looked towards the desert and there was the glory of the Lord appearing in a cloud. The Lord said to Moses, I've heard the grumbling of the Israelites. Tell them, at twilight you will eat meat, 
and in the morning you will be filled with bread. Then you will know that I am the Lord your God. That evening quail came and covered the camp, and in the morning there was a layer of dew around the camp. When the dew was gone, thin flakes like frost on the ground appeared on the desert floor. When the Israelites saw it, they said to each other, What is it? But they didn't know what it was. Moses said to them, It is the bread the Lord has given you to eat. This is what the Lord has commanded. Everyone is to gather as much as they need. Take an omer for each person you have in your tent. The Israelites did as they were told. Some gathered much, some little. And when they measured it by the omer, the one who gathered much did not have too much, and the one who gathered little did not have too little. Everyone had gathered just as much as they needed. Then Moses said to them, No one is to keep any of it until morning. However, some of them paid no attention to Moses. They kept part of it until morning, but it was full of maggots and began to smell, so Moses was angry with them. Each morning, everyone gathered as much as they needed, and when the sun grew hot, it melted away. On the sixth day, they gathered twice as much, two omers for each person, and the leaders of the community came and reported this to Moses. He said to them, this is what the Lord commanded. Tomorrow is to be a day of Sabbath rest, a holy Sabbath to the Lord. So bake what you want to bake and boil what you want to boil. Save whatever is left and keep it until morning. Great. Now, this phrase, give us today our daily bread, it, it, it's actually a slightly odd phrasing in the Greek. It literally means give us tomorrow's bread today. It's a reminder that God wants us to bring all of our needs to him as a child comes to their father. And for Israel, we saw the lesson, didn't we? Israel needed to trust God that he would provide all that they needed for that day and live day to day in trust and dependence on him, not hoarding up what they had, but simply day to day trusting that their father would provide. And you see that little detail? God did more than that, didn't he? He gave abundantly. He gave meat as well as bread. He literally flew in the meat each day for them. And in this way as well, God also trained his people to be satisfied with what he gave them. They were grumbling and then they were satisfied because maybe we can be tempted to pray, God, uh, give us our daily bread for the rest of our lives or for the next year. Just we, we want to know all our future needs will be provided for. But Jesus, though, instructs us to pray daily for that day or if praying at night for tomorrow's. We see elsewhere, Jesus calls us to have this perspective of living for today. Later on in Matthew 6, he reminds us this when it comes to worry. God asks us to trust him for each day as it comes. And maybe right now, that can be something of a comfort to us as we live day to day with so many unknowns for the future, don't we? This prayer reminds us God will provide all we need for now. And we can trust him for the future. We don't need to worry ourselves with things we can't predict. We don't need to fret and whip ourselves up over things outside of our control. When will lockdown end? When will schools open? Will the snow ice over and make getting out tomorrow virtually impossible? How will work go this week? How will homeschooling go? Will I go back on furlough? A prayer for daily bread is a reminder that we are dependent on God for all of our needs. Josh outlined that brilliantly earlier. And a prayer for daily bread is a reminder that our good father will provide just what we need. So it's a, a challenge for us not to worry about the next month or the next year or the impact going forward. Just take each day as it comes, asking God to provide all we need for that day 
and trusting that he will. We saw it earlier, didn't we? Previously, yesterday, uh, yesterday, last week, sorry. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven, contentment in God's plan. Now, some days we know God may do far more than we can ask or imagine. Ephesians tells us that in answer to our prayers, some says far more than we can ask or imagine. And other days he'll just sustain us in the storm of whatever is going on now, but he will give us exactly what we need. He will provide all we need. He will sustain us. Those are the first couple of things we see as we look at the manna in heaven and the Israelites. Well, what else do we see as we, we contemplate these, was it six words, give us our daily bread? Well, we're called here to pray for bread, not cake. Jesus doesn't say ask for the best, ask for cake. He says, ask for God to give us just what we need. Do you notice in the story of Israelites, they collected just what they needed. It's not about our greeds. It's about our needs. And remember, Lord, we saw last week, it's his will be done, not ours. God's perception of what we need each day may differ to ours. Many Christians, or maybe some, hopefully not many, but I'm sure a good number are disappointed in what their lot is in life. You, you hear grumbling. Um, I know I'm at danger of that a lot of the time as well. Not content, dissatisfied. I wish I had this. I wish life was like this. I wish I had that. And Jesus here tells us to pray for what we need, not necessarily what we want. Thanklessness and discontent is a real spiritual issue to guard against. And this prayer reminds us that every good and perfect gift is from above. It all comes from God. He's the only reason we have what we need. And he gives us just what we need. And all of us here, when we think of these, this physical provision, give us our daily bread as we think of the manna in heaven, whether we feel like it right now or not, all of us really are rich. We start, we're all looking at this on a laptop or a phone or an iPad, material at least we are. In reality, whether we own our house or rent, whether you have a well-paying job or not, we're rich. I don't know about you, but when I've been in other countries that are far poorer, you see children walking around with no shoes. I'm yet to see anyone in Vista without shoes unless it's a hot summer day. You see people begging for food. Here we're thankful that if that is a struggle, we have a food bank. We have the benefit system set up to help. And a lot of us probably have more than we need. Jesus probably more than likely had Proverbs 30 in his head as well here. Proverbs here written by King Solomon, the wisest man in the Bible apart from Jesus. And Read it with me on the screen. Proverbs 30, verse 8 says, Give me neither poverty nor riches, but give me only my daily bread. Otherwise, I may have too much and disown you and say, Who is the Lord? Or I may become poor and steal and so dishonor the name of my God. You see what Solomon is saying here? Give me just enough so that I don't ever forget God. So I don't think I can live life independent of him. Often people who have lots don't stop and thank God. They forget God. Yet some people are so poor, they dishonor God by stealing. So this prayer, Lord, give us what we need. That's what the prayer is. And what a great witness it would be as well, wouldn't it? When I go for walks at the moment with friends who don't know Jesus, um, not all of them, but some of them are saying a lot of this right now. I, I wish things were different. I wish I had this. I wish it was like this. What a witness if we were happy and content with what we've got. If we could say with assurance, God's looking after me. And that's enough. What a distinction, countercultural thing that would be as we look at the Sermon on the Mount as Jesus unpacks what the kingdom of God looks like. He's telling us what it looks like to be citizens in his kingdom, how countercultural it is against the world we live in, which is all about me. 
and which is all about just striving after the best and the greatest, our wants, not our needs. Richard Cokin, pastor in London, he tells a wonderful story of a friend of his, a wealthy businessman who lost his money in the collapse of an energy company, Enron. He says this, he said, my friend showed me around the empty Enron building where he'd worked. The vast and lifeless shell of a financial empire reminded me of some kind of sunken shipwreck. He was surprisingly calm about his losses. I've repeatedly acknowledged to God that my wealth comes from him, he said. I've asked that if at any point he thought it would be spiritually better for me not to have it, he would take it away. I trust that this is what he has done, and I am content with that. This man, Koken says, had learnt the lesson of the manner in heaven. He'd learnt the lesson of give me today my daily bread, what we need. The question is, will we? Two other brief things to notice uh, as we look at this phrase in the Lord's Prayer. Give us our daily bread. Give us our daily bread. Not give me my daily bread. Give us our daily bread. We've noticed that before, our Father in heaven. We noticed that earlier. There's a collectedness about that. This bread we ask for is to, is, is to share. It's for us and it's for others. In our, our Western world, we're full of individualism. It's a real danger. Did you know that there's enough food and drink in the world today for 20 billion people? 20 billion people. Only 7 billion people live in the world and far too many go hungry and thirsty. God has given us double and then some. But what do I so often do? What do we do? We, we keep it. We don't think about others out there. The Lord's Prayer is a challenge for us as we pray it, a challenge to think that I've been given quite a bit, uh, a challenge to then think of how we can help others around us, others in Bista who have need, others in the world who have needs. It's a challenge as it's give us our daily bread. Finally, as well, we see later Jesus calls himself the bread of life. As bread here indicates our, 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 our basic needs, the fundamental things we need to survive. This prayer points forward. Simon last week helped us see, as we understood what it meant to pray, your kingdom come. And this prayer reminds us that Jesus gives us what we need. He calls us to ask. But he doesn't just give us what we need now physically, but he also gives us what we need for the future. Jesus is called over 700 names in the Bible. That's a challenge for you to try and find. One of them he gives himself, as I said, is the bread of life. He's the one we need to have life now and life when we die. He sustains us. He is what we need. He is all we need. And this prayer reminds us of that. Give us this day our daily bread. And it flows perfectly to the second phrase of the Lord's Prayer we're looking at tonight. It shows us uh, another of our greatest needs, not just physical provision, but forgiveness of our sins. Forgive us our debts as we have also forgiven our debtors. This phrase reminds us as we pray it that daily life requires both bread and forgiveness. Daily, we need to come to God for our needs, both physical and spiritual. Daily, we need to come to God in a, a posture of repentance, a posture which says, Lord, I need your forgiveness. The only way I can be in relationship with you is because of what you have done. When we come to Jesus, and ask for forgiveness when we come and say lord i trust in you to forgive me from my sin my rebellion please forgive me he does and we are forgiven and the bible makes it clear that when god opens our eyes and we trust in him we are saved we are transformed and it's not like we need to ask every day or we won't be forgiven he's not saying that here 
But asking for forgiveness daily demonstrates a recognition that we need it, that we keep falling short of God's standards. And also this prayer really tells us, as we, we see this condition in here, that when we experience God's forgiveness, we are fundamentally transformed into forgiving people. When we experience God's forgiveness, we are fundamentally transformed into forgiving people. In other words, one way we can know if we've experienced God's forgiveness is to see if we have become forgiving people. Maybe as we go through this next point of the next 10 minutes or so, it'll be a challenge for you to reflect on that. Are there people in your life you've struggled to forgive? You're struggling to forgive. One way we can know if we've experienced God's forgiveness is to see if we've become forgiving people. Now, uh, the talk here, the phrase you saw it here is of, of debts. Some translations, some people, when they say the prayer, may say transgressions, and some say debts. Um, it's different in Luke to what it is here. It, it's basically in Aramaic, Jesus uses a, a word, koba, which means both debts and transgressions or sins. Uh, Greek and English can only translate that one way. But here in the prayer in Matthew uh, verse 12, we see it talks about debts. And in verses 14, 15, you'll see it later, it says sins, transgressions. Um, he's talking about both. Jesus wanted his disciples, he wanted us to understand sin in both the sense of owing a debt and the sense of trespassing into territory that doesn't belong to us. Saying we owe God a debt that needs forgiven means we recognize we've failed to give him the obedience he is rightly due as our king. We owe God our obedience and we've failed to pay up. Debt in Jesus' time was a really serious thing. The Probably the vast majority of people in prison in that time would have been people in debt. It's not like a student loan, thankfully, or a mortgage. Uh, it's infinitely more serious to the people they're listening in. More people would have been in prison for debt than anything else. The Bible tells us we stand in debtor's court before God condemned and rightly deserving of his just wrath. Only God's forgiveness can clear our guilt and restore our relationship with him. We're in debt to God unless we have it forgiven, unless we have it paid off. Sin, as verses 14 and 15 tell us as well, it's also transgression, stepping over the line, violating our relationship with him. This is what we need forgiveness from. And this prayer reminds us of this as we humbly approach God, our Father. And it wonderfully reminds us that that forgiveness is offered on ev to everyone. That's why Jesus tells us to pray. Now, you could read these verses and misunderstand what Jesus is saying. It's, I think it's quite easy to actually. Is Jesus saying God will forgive you sins only if you forgive others theirs against you? Seems to say that. Forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. Is this some kind of tit for tat relationship? Is God a, a petulant child who says, I'll do it if they do it? No. Um, and Jesus told us a parable which really, really helps us here. So Josh final time is going to read for us uh, Matthew 18 a, a helpful parable which unpacks this for us <clears throat> therefore the kingdom of heaven is like a king who wanted to settle accounts with his servants as he began the settlement a man who owed him 10,000 bags of gold was brought to him since he was not able to pay <clears throat> the master ordered that he and his wife and his children and all that he had to be sold to repay the debt at this, the servant fell on his knees before him. Be patient with me, he begged, and I'll pay back everything. The servant's master took pity on him, cancelled the debt and let him go. But when the servant went out, 
He found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred silver coins. He grabbed him and began to choke him. Pay back what you owe me, he demanded. His fellow servant fell to his knees and begged him, be patient with me and I'll pay it back. But he refused. Instead, he went off and had the man thrown into prison until he could pay the debt. When the other servants saw what had happened, they were outraged and went and told their master everything that had happened. Then the master called the servant in. You wicked servant, he said. I cancelled all that debt of yours because you begged me to. Shouldn't you have had mercy on your fellow servant just as I had on you? In anger, his master handed him over to the jailers to be tortured until he should pay back all he owed. This is how my heavenly father will treat each one of you unless you forgive your brother or sister from your heart. You see what Jesus is saying there? Unsurprisingly, he says it better than we could. Oh, when we experience God's forgiveness, we're fundamentally transformed into forgiving people. The call here in the parable is to be like Jesus, to be like the master who recognizes that we've been forgiven. When we trust in Christ for our forgiveness, we're told uh, he gives us his spirit to transform us into new creations. We're completely transformed, not only in this area of forgiveness, but in all areas. Read the rest of the Sermon on the Mount and you'll see Jesus outlines what the citizens of his kingdom are to be like. See that parable. This is what the kingdom is like. We're called to be like our king, our king Jesus, who did not wait for us to love him and honor him to die in our place and allow our sins to be given. No, he forgave us before we even asked for it. There's a great Sovereign Grace King so uh, kid song has this chorus. It says, our debt was satisfied on the cross when Jesus died. And if we've been forgiven, it's got to change the way we're living. How can we hold a grudge? How can we fail to love? Once we've known what mercy is, Lord, help us to forgive. Now, it's maybe worth saying at this point, biblical forgiveness does not ignore the pain which comes when someone wrongs you. When I mentioned this at the start, your brain may have instantly gone to someone you've struggled to forgive. Maybe a, a friend who's let you down, a parent, a spouse. Biblical forgiveness does not mean never mind. It does not mean injustices will not be tolerated. The cross shows us that. If I gave you a hundred pound debt, uh, no, no, if you, if I forgive you a hundred pound debt that you owe me, uh, that means I must use 100 pounds of my own money to pay my creditors. I cannot really make you a hundred pounds richer without making myself a hundred pounds poorer. If a debt is real, it must be paid. And if it is my mercy that repays your debt, I still must pay it. And that is one of the reasons why Christ had to die, why God could not simply just say, forget it. Instead, he said, forgive it, and meant that if we did not pay it, he paid it himself. In a sense, as we offer forgiveness ourselves to others, it's the same. We don't ignore justice. And then once we've forgiven someone, we can then pursue reconciliation and peace. It makes it peace. It makes it far easier we're called to be peacemakers as people and the citizens of heaven. When I moved to school, um, moved to school in India when I was 11, I moved into year uh, eight, just six months after my class had lost one of their classmates, Philip Staines, um, who will come up on screen in a minute. Um, on the left there, as you see him, the taller one, he was burnt alive by Hindu militants alongside his father, Graham, there and his little brother because they were traveling around providing care to lepers, preaching the gospel in North India. We're gonna to listen to a couple of minutes now as Philip's mother, one of the most remarkable women I've ever met, 
She's lost her 11, um, her seven-year-old sons, her husband, only her daughter Esther, who was 13, survived her. Uh, she was an imagite that was burnt. And this is what um, Gladys Stange was able to say. When I think back on it, I said to I said to Esther actually it was only within a few hours of them actually being killed that that day, and it was probably a few a couple of hours after I'd first about four hours after I'd heard the initial news that the jeeps had been burnt. Though I didn't know what had happened to the family, Esther said to me, "Mummy, what is the news?" And she was thirteen at the time, and I said, "It seems like we've been left alone." And that was sort of how I broke the news to her. And, but we will forgive. I think I said, won't we? And she said, yes, mommy, we will. And so again, those, those words at that time, I will forgive. I think I started a healing process in my own life because if we forgive, we, we can't allow bitterness to come in. It's, it's been a release to me in, in a healthy experience in the sense that I'm not harboring bitterness and I'm able to move on in life in a sense, um, but I, I'm not having to constantly think about those people who killed my husband and what's happening to them and are they being, you know, given justice? Because again, because I know that God has his ways and deal, will deal with them, but I, but I also pray that they will know God's forgiveness in their own lives. So in that way, it's been a release to me to be able to forgive. Now, in some ways, of course, that's an extreme example from Bista today, but it's one which has lived with me since I first met Gladys when I was 11. She was a woman who knew herself that she'd been forgiven. She knew the words of Jesus, which called us to forgive even our greatest enemies as he'd forgiven us. In other interviews, she said, as she said there, that justice was important. She didn't want the death penalty for the killers. She felt that was God's right alone, but she did call for appropriate imprisonment and justice whilst praying that they would turn to trust in Jesus. Now, I know some people here who may feel really hurt by things done to them in the past or even presently. It's a comfort to know that our Father in heaven knows that pain. But Jesus' words on forgiveness are clear here, aren't they? Without forgiving others, we'll not be forgiven. Not because our, our works are the ground for our own forgiveness, not because it's what we do which makes us be able to have the offer of forgiveness, but forgiveness is, is evidence that we have received forgiveness ourselves, that we have understood our own debt, our need for forgiveness. Hard hearts have no place in the kingdom of God because the king himself is a forgiving king, just as he wonderfully forgives us when we rebel. So the citizens of God's kingdom forgive one another. I'm just going to give 30 seconds now just to pause, to stop, think. I, I, it, there may not be anyone for you, but maybe there's somebody you're struggling to forgive. I want us to take 30 seconds now, maybe just to pray for them, pray for yourself. And then maybe tonight or this week, you need to get in touch with them and have a conversation. I'd encourage you to do that in response to this prayer this week to begin steps of reconciliation. Let's just take a few seconds now.
starting to continue to process later as we as we learn how to pray uh, this prayer as we let it challenge us and and shape our thinking of of the world and the gospel as well just as we looked at earlier how a people who are content with what god provides us not striving after what we want but resting what we've been given so if we're a people who are quick to forgive if we're recognizing that it's painful yes but if we live as children of the ultimate forgiving father if we live in his image It'll be a massively striking witness to the world, won't it? To our friends, to our family, to be people who don't hold grudges, to people who forgive those who've wronged us. Because we recognize that firstly, we have a great need for forgiveness. What a witness that would be to those watching on. The kingdom of heaven and the, the, the ethic of it, the, the, the unpacking of what it looks like to live as people in his kingdom is a wonderfully attractive one. It's a startlingly countercultural one, isn't it? It's a revolutionary sermon this prayer is in the middle of. And this is a revolutionary prayer. So the series, let uh, Lord teach us how to pray. How does this prayer help us to pray? How do these phrases help us to pray this week? These words of Jesus were given to us to pray as they are, as Lank said, as he went for a run with Vinny, to remember definitely, but also to show us, as it says in Matthew, how to pray. We already saw the need firstly to look up to our father in heaven to submit to his will and his reign tim keller the pastor in america says this he says this on prayer he says prayer is both conversation and encounter with god we must know the awe of praising his glory the intimacy of finding his grace and the struggle of asking his help all of which can lead us to know the spiritual reality of his presence these two phrases uh, continue that as we as we recognize our utter dependence on him for our greatest needs of of sustenance of, and forgiveness they remind us again of our utter need for him as we gaze upwards to our wonderful heavenly kingly father we quickly recognize we're creatures he's our creator it, it helps us pray as we remember that we're little children he's our father so whenever we pray we pray as dependent creatures as Children coming to their wonderful Heavenly Father, knowing that he cares for us. And this is the, the comfort of this prayer. Jesus teaches it to us and we remind us that God will answer those prayers. As we say, give us our daily bread. He will provide for us not always what we want, but he will give us what we need. And he will always forgive those who come to him, recognizing their need for forgiveness. And those people who come to him, he transforms into a people who are more and more like him, forgiving people content people as we pray this prayer we're both humbled and transformed it's a prayer full of deep riches so now maybe together at home with your mics off we're going to pray it together i'm going to pray it out loud and then we're going to sing our father in heaven hallowed be your name your kingdom come your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we have also forgiven our debtors and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one.